today, I'm going to talk about an extraordinary story that will make you realize that nothing is impossible. This is a story about how a beggar who had nothing but the clothes on his back ended up becoming the founding emperor of an empire that lasted almost 300 years. This is the story of the life of Zhu Yuanzang, also known as the Hongwu Emperor. G'day, I'm your host Stephen, and welcome everyone to another episode of the Bamboo History Podcast. So yeah, let's just get straight into it. Zhu Yuanzang was born in the year 1328 in a small village in Haozhou, which is now present-day Fengyang in China's Anhui province in the southern or southeast part of China. He was born during the later part of the Yuan Dynasty, which was a period where China was ruled by the Mongols. If you aren't familiar with the Yuan Dynasty, it was founded by Kublai Khan, the grandson of the great Genghis Khan, who basically tore through half of the known world at the time with its beast cavalry. But that was a long time ago now, and after Kublai Khan, many of the Yuan Dynasty emperors were either weak, incompetent, or were basically manipulated by other people in the royal court. That, combined with natural disasters and the government's incompetence at handling these disasters, led to widespread poverty in China, and there was rising anger and dissatisfaction of the majority Han Chinese population towards the ruling Mongols. Zhu Yuanzang was born into this shit state of a country, and his birth name was Zhu Chongba. The name Zhu Chongba means the 16th child. Ba means 8 in Chinese, and Chong means a repeat in Chinese. Therefore, a repeat of 8, two eights, is 16. He was given the name the 16th child because he was the 8th child of his father, but the 16th child of both his father and his uncle combined because traditionally, the Chinese family unit would also include your extended family, rather than the nuclear-style family we're accustomed to today. Zhu Yuanzang, or Zhu Tongba, the 16th child, was born into a really poor peasant family, and the family had constantly moved around to make a living. As they didn't own any land, they would work for other farmers who owned land to survive. Having multiple children, Zhu's parents had actually given up some of his siblings, in exchange for food and money to keep the family going. Zhu's childhood was spent playing with groups of other kids in the fields whilst helping farmers by looking after their livestock. A story from his childhood was that one time him and his friends were absolutely starving and Zhu Yuanzhang decided to kill one of the cattle that he was looking after and he basically shared it with his mates in what would basically be the greatest feed with the boys in the 1300s, back before kebab shops existed. When the farmer found out what Zhu had done, Zhu took the blame for himself, saying that everything was his idea and had nothing to do with the children, who were also starving by the way as well, and probably suggested the idea too. Zhu was punished for a beating, all the other kids got away scot-free, and they were so grateful to him for the food and for taking the blame that they began calling him the Emperor. I'm not too sure if that was a coincidence or not, but it was surely a sign of things to come. Some of those other kids that he played with in the fields back in the day would later on accompany him on his quests and campaigns, but more of that later. When Zhu Yunzang, Zhu Songba, the 16th child, coincidentally was 16, something bad really happened to him and his family. You see, at the time, a drought had occurred across the land. 
To make things worse, the drought caused a famine. And then to cap that off, a plague also swept across that area too. Zhu's parents and siblings all perished during this disaster, either through starvation from the famine or sickness from the plague, leaving only himself and an older brother left that survived. Without a home and a family at the age of 16, what was Zhu and Zhang supposed to do? I mean, if you were 16 and something bad like this happened, how would you feel and how would it affect you? The country at the time was poor and chaotic, which meant there clearly wasn't going to be anyone from social services finding your foster home. So at the age of 16, Zhu had suffered a terrible tragedy, and he decided to join the local monastery to become a Buddhist monk. During his time in the monastery, he began to study Buddhist texts and taught himself how to read and write, something that he had never done before because his family was so poor and struggled to even make a living, let alone give him an education. But if he thought the family tragedy was bad, it would take another turn for the worst for Zhu Yuanzang. Because after only a couple of months at the monastery, the monastery had to let him go because they were financially poor as well. If you don't know already, monasteries primarily rely on donations to keep themselves financially afloat. But because not many people had much money those days to give to the monastery, they had nothing coming in themselves. They had no choice but to pick the people who ate the most food and did the least work to leave. And that was Zhu Yuanzang. Actually, that was kind of a joke there. I actually made that part up. There actually isn't a specific reason why they picked Zhu Yuanzang. Um, I just speculated there. Um, it probably wasn't true. But regardless, Zhu Yuanzang was once again without a home. Thus, he decided to travel the country as a wandering beggar, which he did so for eight years. His time as a beggar was actually an eye-opener for him, because since he was born, he had been living in his own bubble, in a rural farming community, and honestly knew nothing about the world. But now he was understanding perhaps why him and his family had been neglected for so long by the government, and why they were always poor and struggling just to have food in their bellies. He was witnessing the cruel treatment of civilians by the government, as well as the suffering of the common people from poverty, illness and hunger, all around the country. He was then able to truly grasp how chaotic China was in that time, where groups of peasants had already risen up to try and overthrow the Mongolian government. If you can't relate to what Zhu Yunzang was witnessing at the time, maybe think about a time where you had started to travel the world for the first time, and how cultured that made you become. After the eight years of wandering or so, he finally returned back to the monastery, and they took him in, probably because they had some money now, who knows. And he stayed there for a bit, but this time, Zhu Yunzang was restless. You see, when he first went to that monastery when he was 16, he had just lost his family. He didn't know anything else. He didn't know what to do. And he didn't know anything about the world at that time. And all he wanted to do was find a place to call home and survive. Now, after those eight years, he had travelled, he had seen places, talked to different people, and found something new in his life. A new goal and a new purpose to change the sorry state of a society he was living in. He knew sitting around all day chanting to Buddha and reading those scripts wasn't going to change anything that he had saw outside of the monastery. So after around a year or so, at the age of 25, he decided to go for a career change. When he decided to go for that career change, during that period of time, many people, 
especially the poorest of the lot, the peasants, had had enough of what they were going through, and they were sick of being led by a group of foreigners that didn't care about their well-being at all. As a result, many uprisings had begun, and there were a lot of rebel groups all around the shop, especially in southern China where Zhu was from, because that area was where they had been neglected and oppressed the most by the government. Zhu Yuanzhang decided to join one of the rebel forces, so he picked the nearest one. He went to Haozhou, where he was originally from, and signed up to the group there. That rebel group was called the Red Turban Rebels. Now, they're called the Red Turban Rebels because they actually wore red turbans into battle. They're not the turbans, just to clarify, uh, that the Sikh people from India wear. So it's it's not like that. It's not like um, the guy from, you know, in, in Bender Like Beckham or in the Tunuk Tunuk music video. But those turbans look nice too, just saying. Zhu Yuanzhang, after he joined the Red Turban Rebels, started off as a soldier, obviously, but quickly rose up the ranks. This was because he had some advantages that his peers, his fellow soldiers, didn't have. Most of his peers were peasants just like him, and peasants from that day and age were mostly illiterate, just like Zhu Yuanzhang was before he joined the monastery. But Zhu was able to read and write because he learned how to do it in the monastery. And that was an advantage, because whenever the higher-ups in the rebel group passed down directions on a piece of paper, he was able to read and interpret these letters and messages. And within months of joining the Red Turbans, he was made leader of a small group of men of around 9 or 10 people. He also earned the respect of his men and his commanders with courage in the battlefield. Most importantly, however, many of the other rebel soldiers, being peasants, had all grown up in their little bubbles, like Zhu and Zhang previously did, and they didn't really know much about the world at the time, and probably what they were fighting for. They were just blindly following their leaders. Zhu Yuanzhang, on the other hand, had his years as a wandering beggar by his side, and seeing the world gave him very insightful opinions on various social and or political matters. It was these insights and knowledge that impressed one of the Red Turban leaders named Guo Zixing. Guo Zixing took Zhu Yuanzhang by his side and made him his personal soldier and bodyguard. And this gave Zhu Yuanzhang the opportunity to build relationships with more people in positions of power like Guo Zixing in the rebel force. Zhu Yuanzhang's attributes, which took him this far, highlights the importance of having unique and favourable skills, such as being well-educated and travelled, that can set you apart from your peers, something that is really relevant to you today. By the time Zhu Yuanzhang was 30, around five years after he joined the Red Turbans, Guo Zixing had promoted him to a military commander in command of a really large army. Guo Zixing also married off his daughter to Zhu Yuanzhang as well, his adoptive daughter, just to clarify, making Guo Zixing effectively his father-in-law. The daughter would later on become the Empress Ma when Zhu Yuanzhang became emperor, and was a valuable aide and advisor to Zhu Yuanzhang when he was the emperor. At this time, Zhu Yuanzhang's name was still Zhu Zongba, i.e. the 16th child, but now he had officially changed it to Zhu Yuanzhang. The name Yuanzhang means, depending on your interpretation, either save the people from the Yuan dynasty, that's one, or the other one, destroy the Yuan dynasty. I really love the way Chinese people come up with their given names. In the year 1355, Guo Zixing unfortunately passed away, and Zhu Yuanzhang, being the son-in-law, took his place, making him the new leader of the Red Turban Army. He effectively then networked his way from being a beggar to the leader of a large rebel force, 
which numbered around 300,000 people in total. I wonder how many followers Zhuren Zhang would have on LinkedIn, or how many TED Talk invites he would have today because of this achievement. But his path to ultimate glory was not achieved just yet. Multiple rebel groups, other rebel groups in southern China, still existed, and they were all vying to defeat the Mongols and become emperor themselves. And let's not forget the Mongolians. Whilst they had relinquished a lot of control in southern China because of the rebels, they were still firmly in control of northern China. Zhu Yunzhang decided then to first focus on defeating those rebel groups, those other rebel groups first. One of his biggest rebel rival was a bloke named Chen Youliang, or Chen Youliang, who had actually already proclaimed himself as an emperor and boasted a really large army, like even larger than Zhu Yunzhang's. Both Zhu and Chen fought, and the pivotal battle was the Battle of Lake Boyang in the year 1363, which took place in Boyang Lake, which is currently the largest freshwater lake in China. Fun fact. In this battle, Zhu Yunzhang, with 100,000 men, defeated Chen Youliang's army of around 650,000 men. With the odds of 6.5 to 1, Zhu Yunzhang defeated Chen Youliang and effectively took control of southern China after that. If any listeners are interested, perhaps I can make an episode in the future about this battle as well, and how Zhu Yunzhang was able to win with all the odds against him. So now that he had defeated his greatest rival, Chen Youliang, and the most powerful rival as well, that made it easy for him to defeat the remaining rebel groups that were also against him. In the year 1368, he proclaimed himself as the emperor of the Ming dynasty, and adopted Hongwu as the era name. Because he adopted the era name of Hongwu, he then became known as the Hongwu Emperor, and he made the city of Nanjing his capital city. Because now he's proclaimed himself as the Hongwu Emperor, I'm going to refer to Zhu Yunzhang now as the Hongwu Emperor. With the rebel forces gone, his first job as emperor was to defeat the Mongol Yuan Dynasty in the north and unite all of China under Chinese rule. Now, what made it easier for the Hongwu Emperor was that at that time, the Yuan Dynasty was really weak now and way less threatening than those armies under Genghis and Kublai Khan back in the day. As a side note, if you go on Netflix and watch the TV show Marco Polo, you'll get a glimpse as to how powerful the Mongols were at the time. And, you know, Benedict Wong does a really good job portraying Kublai Khan. Just saying. Great show. Shouldn't have been cancelled. So, back to the episode. In order to win, the Hongwu Emperor would need some really good men by his side. Or as Ramsay Bolden will say in Game of Thrones, 20 good men. Remember those kids that used to play with Zhu Yunzhang, the Hongwu Emperor, in the fields back in the day when he was a kid? You know, when he killed the cattle and all that? Well, one of those kids was a person named Xu Da. And he later joined Zhu Yunzhang and became a capable general under Zhu Yunzhang's command. Xu Da and another general named Chan Yuchun led the Ming army north and quickly defeated the Mongols, culminating in the capture of the Yuan Dynasty capital of Dadu, which is also known as Hanbalik in Mongolian, in the year 1638. So in the same year that Zhu Yunzhang proclaimed himself as emperor, within months they had broke through the Yuan Dynasty capital. The Yuan Dynasty was effectively over, and the remaining Yuan forces, as well as the members of the royal family, they retreated back to their Mongolian homeland and established the Northern Yuan Dynasty. But that was that, and with the fall of the Yuan Dynasty in Dadu, 
the Hongwu Emperor had successfully united all of China again under Han Chinese rule. For many of the Han Chinese, they were so happy that they were not ruled under the foreigners anymore. Because you see, during the Yuan Dynasty, there was a loose caste system where the Mongolians were the highest caste and the Han Chinese were the lowest caste, and they were effectively discriminated um, in a lot of walks of life. So, yeah, so to emphasize, a lot of the majority Han Chinese were really happy that they were finally being ruled under a Han Chinese emperor. As the founder of a new dynasty, the Ming Dynasty, the Hongwu Emperor had many problems he needed to solve right away. The main one was the poverty, especially amongst the rural areas. This would have struck a chord with him especially, because the Hongwu Emperor, Zhu Yuanzang himself was born a peasant, and he had to endure starvation for most of his childhood. Hence, he assisted farmers by building irrigation systems all over the country and gave many peasants free land in parts of the country which encouraged immigration to many parts of China that had previously been sparsely populated, effectively giving a lot of peasants free land to just claim. To encourage education, he also brought back the Kerju civil examination system, which was used to select government officials from people from all walks of life. This gave the opportunity for Han Chinese people, and also people from poorer backgrounds, the opportunity to enter high-earning government roles, as long as they had studied hard and then passed the test, giving them the chance to turn their lives around. This examination system was not used that much during the Yuan Dynasty, and in the times that they did, they had placed entry restrictions on the majority Han Chinese population. The Hongwu Emperor, however, is also known for his cruelty. Remember his friend, his mate Shu Da, the general, who played with him as a child and then fought for him later on? Well, allegedly, the emperor knew Shu Da was allergic to goose meat and had him poisoned to death by making him eat a goose. Now, this hasn't been really confirmed, but a lot of people have said that that's what he did. He poisoned his childhood friend because Shu Da was gaining a strong reputation in the military for all of his victories in battle, and the Hongwu emperor was scared and paranoid that one day Shu Da could use his military reputation, power, and might to overthrow him. So he had one of his best mates, who did absolutely nothing wrong, poisoned. Now imagine what he would do to the people who actually did something wrong. Just be thankful he didn't exist back then. If you were an official and you were caught with corruption, you were hung in public, then your corpse would be skinned, and then you were stuffed with grass inside, and then hung outside for onlookers to see, usually by the city wall gates. Basically telling you, if you're corrupt, that's what's going to happen to you, mate. In total, around 150,000 people were executed for corruption during the Hongwu Emperor's 30-year reign. A record for the execution of corrupt officials was 10,000 people in one go. And that was the case of Guo Huang where an official named Guo Huan was caught selling off three years' worth of military equipment and supplies just for personal gain. It is a serious crime, no denying that. And when the Emperor Hongwu found out, he was so shocked and so mad that he executed Guo Huan and everyone who was involved. 10,000 people who were involved. 10,000 people killed in one go. That, that is insane. That's a massacre. That... that, that, that I cannot imagine anyone in the modern day doing something like that. It, it, yeah, very, yeah, the Hongwu Emperor was, uh, he was ruthless. But, you know, despite this, 
uh, he was still very popular with the common people, and his policies established a dynasty that would almost last, you know, 300 years. Towards the Hongwu Emperor's later years, however, his main challenge was to find someone to succeed him as the emperor once he passed away. In Ming China, the official rule for succession was primogeniture, which means that the oldest son would succeed. His eldest son, his oldest son, Zhu Biao, however, had already passed away in the year 1392. This meant, based on the primogeniture rule, he would have to appoint the eldest child of the eldest child, which would be his grandson, Zhu Yunwen. There was a uh, problem though, however, and that was the Hongwu Emperor's other sons, i.e. Zhu Biao's younger siblings. The thing was, they couldn't ignore his other sons because many of those sons had also fought with Zhu Yunzang, the Hongwu, the Hongwu Emperor, in his campaigns. They were much more mature than the Hongwu Emperor's grandson, and they had a lot more knowledge on how to rule a country. Some of these sons also received land and armies from the Hongwu Emperor, their father, as a reward for their service to the country. Meanwhile, his grandson, you know, his eldest son's eldest son, was only 15 at the time, and really didn't know much of the world other than the palace he had lived his whole life, and didn't offer any unique or great skills that would make him better than his uncles, you know, his father's younger siblings. I mean, think about when you were 15. What were you doing when you were 15, right? Although, to be fair, um, what I've heard is his grandson was a very benevolent person, and if he did rule the country, he would have been very kind to his people, uh, in contrast to maybe his grandfather, who can be pretty ruthless at times, as you have already heard. Ironically, for a man who rose to the top, especially in the Red Turban Army, for his unique, unique and favourable skills, he decided to opt against choosing his younger sons who had those skills, and instead follow that succession rule, and appoint his grandson, Zhu Yunwen, as the successor to his position once he passed, so as the next emperor. For the first time in his life, Zhu Yunzang, the Hongwu Emperor did not follow his steps to success, and that would spell trouble for him later on. Shortly before his death, the Hongwu Emperor had arranged for all of his other sons, those younger sons, to come to the capital city of Nanjing with some of their soldiers to partake in a military parade. The Hongwu Emperor and his grandson, Zhu Yunwen, his successor, were marvelling at the parade. The Hongwu Emperor pointed at the soldiers and said to his grandson, Look at your uncles and how strong their armies are. One day, when you become the emperor, if there's anything you need, or if you're ever in danger, look to your uncles and they will help you. Zhu Yunwen, his grandson, then replied, Um, and what if one of those uncles threatens me? The Hongwu emperor was like, Oh no, oh shit, I uh, didn't think of that, and was lost for words, not knowing how to respond. He had never thought of a situation where his own family members would, you know, kill each other. And uh, he didn't really have long to dwell on that problem, because in the year 1398, shortly after that military parade, the Hongwu Emperor sadly passed away, aged 69, and had ruled for 30 years. Opinions on him have been divided, but personally, I think if you're able to become an emperor from literally having nothing, then you're pretty badass. He showed that as long as you had the desire and determination, you can pretty much be what you want to be. His policies determined the course of Chinese history for almost 300 years, and he defeated the Mongols. I mean, he defeated the Mongols. That's, 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 he defeated the Mongols. That's a great achievement. Just saying. Now that you've listened to this amazing and inspirational story, if you're ever in a poor financial situation, 
if your boyfriend or girlfriend's dumped you, or if you've lost your job, or if you've been badly injured or something. Remember the story of Zhu Yuanzang, the Hongwu Emperor, and how he became the number one of the entire country from literally having nothing. And I hope you can use his story to motivate you to improve and better your lives. So that, folks, is the end of my story. I hope you enjoyed my content. As always, please subscribe to my podcast to tune in to more of this exciting content. And feel free to submit any feedback and comments on my show. My email is in the description box below. I've also got Instagram now, account name Bamboo History Podcast. The Instagram account not only posts up teasers and updates of new episodes, but will also have additional bite-sized historical content that is too small to fit in a podcast episode. So please head on to my Instagram as well. Follow my page and indulge in more exciting Chinese history content. My Instagram details for your convenience are also in the description box below. So thank you to all of you for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day or night and see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now.